Okay. Welcome. Uh, thank you, Noodle Pros followers, for joining us today. Um, I am lucky enough to be joined by Randy Shane. Um, he is the author of 173 pages, Every College Student Must Read. Getting into college is great. Getting the most out of it is crucial. Um, and Randy is joining me today to um, speak with our following about how to turn what you like into a career you love. Um, and this is a topic that I am so excited to hear about and learn about. Um, I consider myself a, a lifelong learner. And um, I think that it's really something that students who are, are beginning to think about their future I think it's a conversation they're really going to find um, a lot of useful tips in um, and something that is just super valuable, especially right now. Um, Randy has worked with students for years um, and, and kind of teamed up with them to help them find what it is that they like and to kind of coach them about how to turn it into what they love in terms of a, a future career. Um, so he has been kind enough to join us today and um, kind of tell us a little bit about what he knows, what he's learned, um, and he's learned these things from, you know, real life situations. So the advice he's bringing is super valuable, um, but I want to let him get right into it. Um, and I actually, if you don't mind, Randy, I have a question um, to kind of start us off. Um, and my question is, you know, what, what brought you to writing this book? How did you, how did you get there? Sure. So thanks a lot for having me, uh, Casey and Noodle Pros. I really appreciate it. Um, I, so I think the thing that happened for me was that I had started a business, uh, an investigative business, uh, believe it or not, in, in many, many, many years ago. And I was running that business, uh, sold that business somewhere along the way, and continued on in that business. And around 2013, 2014 or so, we had maybe 70 or 75 people. And I found myself kind of not working as much with the younger people as I had before. I was work, became kind of a manager of managers. And I loved that. And I still keep in touch with pretty much all of those uh, managers that, uh, that were working with me and helped build that company. They're all amazing. And one of, the, one of the things I missed was working with the younger people because our whole philosophy had been hire people right out of college. Doesn't really matter what they majored in. Doesn't matter what they studied. If they could write and they were willing to learn and they had any interest, uh, a real interest in what we did, we felt like we could teach them everything else. And then we would promote them and so on. And that really worked out. And I loved the whole interviewing, believe it or not, even the interviewing process, but certainly the hiring and the training and the coaching. We never called the coaching back, back then, right? It's training. Uh, I loved that, but I started missing it. And I couldn't articulate that. I just knew there was something that I was missing. And then Rutgers, where I had gone to school, uh, I'm from New Jersey, as you know. Um, side note, I wanted to go to Penn, but my father told me you're going to Rutgers. I said, I really want to go to Penn. And he said, you didn't hear me. And that was the end of that conversation. So to all the kids out there who have a little bit of a better relationship with their parents now in terms of this, just be aware. It wasn't really like that back in the, back in the 1980s, at least in our house. Uh, so I went to Rutgers. This woman came to me and said, 
we have a mentoring program. We saw your biography. We'd love to have you. Quite honestly, I kind of think all that happened was I went to Rutgers and they knew that they could just email me and I would respond. Uh, so I thought they were initially just hitting me up for money. Turned out that she came in and uh, started talking. I was sold in 45 seconds. Uh, as I told my, my a friend of mine, uh, who's a, a, an unbelievable marketer, she then tried to unsell the whole thing because she kept talking. And I, I actually gave her the hand and said, no, you convinced me I'm good. I'm in. Don't say anything else. I'm okay. And so I started this program. Immediately, I went to, I got to do a, a speech at a particular class, and I got four Rutgers students who approached me afterwards and asked that they could be as part of this, they could be my mentees or whatever we want to call them. Yeah. Uh, and I, that was in 2014 or 2015. I'm kind of losing a track of time. Still to this day, keep in touch with all of them very regularly. And as I, as I started doing this program, of course, one of the things we noticed was that uh, you know, Rutgers has an interesting philosophy. You're not allowed to mentor a student for longer than a semester. Um, that, of course, goes against everything I believe in. <laughs> and so I just asked the kids, listen, I'm a volunteer. You're students. Why don't we just do this without, we don't need the school. Like, what's the difference? So I started working with each of them individually after that semester and it continued and blossomed and started doing more and more of it. There's a very long way of getting to the answer to your original question, which is I wrote the book because midway in that process, I started realizing hmm, I'm saying some of the same things. I'm repeating myself a bit there. Each kid is very unique, very different and so on. But a lot of the theories and a lot of the stuff that I think about come from having been a business owner, which is why I told you that story. And so having been a person who's worked very closely with young people, I know what it is that other business people are looking for. Uh, why, what do we really want? What do we really want in an employee, particularly a young one? And so I can impart that information to kids from that, from that perspective. I keep calling them kids, of course, because I'm an old man now. But so, so I saw that as part of the reason to write the book. And the second reason is the one that uh, I, you know, I'm going to try not to um, insult noodle pros here. But my view is that there's been a tremendous amount of money and, and effort spent getting kids into college. And I get it. It's a discreet aim. It works. We can understand it. Everyone wants to go to the best place or if they're smart, the best fit for them, which I presume is partially what uh, your organization, other organizations like you, that's what that part of what you do is to say, hey, it's not all, everybody's not set for uh, the IVs, right? Like sometimes it's better to go to a school that's different, um, that's going to fit you better for what you might want to do. And so I, I looked and thought, who's telling these kids what's happening next? Who's explaining to them what they're supposed to do while they're there? I, as a parent, had a, uh, my older uh, my older son had, st had started college around that time, and I thought, like, okay, so he's gotten all this advice and help and so on until now. Now what? He would just drop him off at the school and leave him be, and four years later, he just comes out a fully formed human being, ready to go. You know, he's got the job <laughs> of his dreams and so on. I mean. It just seemed ridiculous to me, especially knowing what I know about what people do in college, right? And I do feel like a lot of college students, without knowing better, 
waste those four years and they end up just feeling a little bit sad and that I wanted to prevent. So that was my ultimate reason for writing it is I don't want kids to be what I call underemployed. I don't want them working in jobs that they hate just to make money, just to end up getting into the city and living there and so on. It's all, that's all wonderful. But then you wake up and you're 30 or 35 or whatever, and you got a family and you're kind of like, now you can't, it's a lot harder to switch, right? It's easier to switch and move around and try different things when you're younger, so. That's great. Yeah, no, I think that that's such a, it's an important piece of the process that, um, and you and I have discussed this, of course, but it, it really does get overlooked. We get so caught up in kind of like the, um, action items that we need to check off for uh, the process, the college application process. And um, we forget about the, the substance of it and like what it's all for. Um, so I think that um, I know that the, the advice that you offer is, is solid and it's so, it's so necessary, right? Because we need to, so that students don't end up feeling like they wasted four years, we need to kind of talk and plan prior to, you know, they, they're the beginning of their um, college experience. Yeah. Um, now, one of the things that I'm curious about, um, when you, once a student is in college and they've declared their major and what do you feel or what do you believe from your experience is the biggest kind of mistake they make or, or um, misstep? I, I think that it's the, it's the mistake that they and, and, and actually their parents make. And so it's unfortunate. Um, we as parents, we obviously we, I'm gonna, we'll stipulate that all parents want what's best for their kids um, and all of that. And kids want what's best for themselves, but they just don't know. And so the biggest mistake they make is they focus entirely on their grades and not on anything else. And so what, and, and until getting to college, that kind of made sense, right? Like, sure, you wanted extracurriculars and all the rest of it, but everyone thinks I got to get those test scores. I got to get that, that ACT, that SAT, my APs, my grades, my GPA, et cetera. And that does help you very much. It is a winning strategy to get to college, but getting through college and doing that will not guarantee you a job at all, first of all. And second of all, won't guarantee you a job that you like has no chance, there's no relationship, they're not correlated. And so that's something that I think people, um, I keep trying to express that to people. Getting great grades is fantastic if it's important to you, but getting great skills and great experiences, that's the part that you you have to do. If you don't do that, you're, you're in trouble. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, um, I've always kind of, when I, in my work, prior to Noodle Pros, I, I worked really closely with high school students. And one of the, um, I was a school counselor and one of the things mm -hmm. I used to work on with them or, or, or um, kind of teach them the importance of was just the ability to interact with people and um, new people, mm -hmm. uh, adults or, you know, people in positions like a professor or an advisor or something like that. Um, because it's really important to begin to develop those skills early on because so much of that, so much of those relationships and, and learning how to build kind of that networking skill is, is part of what helps us focus 
and feel good about focusing on something mm -hmm. other than grades. So if you have an interest and there's someone that, you know, you can connect with to mm -hmm. foster that interest, awesome. But you need to have some comfort in, in connecting with yeah. these people. Um, can you share a little bit about your approach, Randy, when you're working with students and you're kind of helping them figure out what it is that, you know, makes them tick and what it is that they, they like, um, how do you, how do you go about that? Because I think it's, I think it's a tough thing and I'd love to hear your approach. Sure. So w one of the things that I do is I just ask a lot of questions. And so I also want to make it very clear to parents. I recognize that we're never going to be able to do most of the things that I'm talking about now are very difficult for parents to do with their own kids because we have the long relationship. There's certain things that have gone into it. Kids don't really want to hear it from their parents, et cetera. So it's, you're not alone, right? We're all in that same boat. What I, what I like to do and what I think is effective is I don't judge the kids for whatever it is they're into. I don't talk at them and I don't talk about myself. Um, I certainly don't tell them. I've had kids who've said to me after dealing with them for five years that they had no idea that I was a private investigator before, um, which is sort of indicative of the idea that if I thought it was relevant, I would bring it up, right? I mean, I brought it up here because it's a biographical piece uh, that was relevant to what we're talking about, but it's not usually relevant to them. And I think that once you show that you're genuinely interested in what they have to say, most kids will start to open up because they see that they can trust you. So you're not blabbing to their parents. I'm not, I'm not running around talking about what they've told me. Uh, you know, it's, and we're not pathologizing it. It's not, it's not therapy, right? I mean, it's just trying to treat them like a normal adult, but just one who's younger. Um, and so I find that that's really the way I used to manage employees. It kind of has a lot of the same um, techniques work here as well. Uh, and one of the things that I've noticed is that as time goes on, their needs change too, Casey. So you have to adjust as a, as a mentor, you adjust your style and so on to each person and then to each person as they evolve right? As your relationship evolves, you can start saying different things. I can start being more obnoxious, which is the way I normally am once we get to know each other. I don't necessarily start out that way with someone I, that I don't know. Um, so those kinds of, that's kind of the short answer. I did want to jump in too, is that you mentioned um, just a minute ago that kind of how they can meet people and network and so on. And, and that, that's actually a whole chapter in my book. And one of the things I keep trying to explain to people is you should treat all of what we talk about, all of the things I talk about, I try to express them in a way that's natural rather than that's normal, that doesn't fight human nature. So I acknowledge that it's hard for a lot of kids to go up to an adult they don't know and just start talking to them, right? So is there's somebody that in your example that you want to meet, most 18-year-olds, they're not going to do that. They just aren't. And so one of the things that I find is the most important for any person like me who's coaching younger people is acknowledge what's hard for them to do. Don't just sit there and tell them, you got to do it. Like, that's not going to work, right? <laughs> like, you have to be able to say, it's going to be difficult. It will be awkward. I get it. Now let's work on how you're going to actually do it, right? So I've acknowledged that it's not going to be fun, but we're going to do it anyway. 
And so at least they understand that you get it, that it's not fun and so on. I work with an organization called Level Up uh, Game On Nation and they have uh, a guy named Steve Shenbaum there taught me this trick, which is amazing. It's just called um, coins. And essentially all it really means is you teach people to think about what are the things that I really am interested in and just keep each of them as a coin in my pocket. So for me, it's basketball, it's coaching, it's, um, you know, relate, it's relationships with other people, you know, whatever they might be. Um, I have those in my pocket so that when I meet someone else and we start speaking, I know I can always bring those things up. I don't have to try to think, oh my God, what am I going to say? You know, whatever. It's like, I've got my four or five go-tos. Uh, you know, I'm another one for me might be in the pandemic is the barter, the crazy bartering and the never going to the supermarket and cooking all kinds of cockamamie stuff and trading <laughs> it with my neighbors, right? That's a topic. All these coins are topics and you can use those to create conversations if you just remember them as a metaphor. And so those are the kinds of things that I like to teach people too is learn from everybody else. Yeah. The best coaches steal from all the other coaches and they're very honest about it, right? And I'm no different, right? I'm stealing constantly from everyone else around me. Whatever they say, I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. That's just not the way I did it, but I'm gonna add that to my repertoire. Yeah, and I think I'm gonna steal coins. From <laughs> Please do. That's a really good one. And I, you know what? I think that's what I like about it is it kind of gives it gives us a method, right? Because because some of us are really methodical in what we do, and um, that gives you kind of a not a tangible thing, but in a sense, if you if you think about it as coins in your pocket, right? And you assign each of those coins kind of one of your one of your things or one of your favorite topics, um, it works. Um, and it's, it's, what's interesting is sometimes what I would assume is that students who, let's say a student embraces that, you know, okay, I'm going to use coins. And sometimes that's maybe all they need, um, to kind of fuel their confidence to start up the conversation. Mm -hmm. And then who knows where the conversation goes. They might not even have to use their coins, but um, the confidence piece there is a big one that stands mm -hmm. out to me. So that's what I really love about it. Sure. Um, Wait, I want to jump in if you don't mind for a second. Yeah, that, that's actually one of the, the, the kind of concrete tips that I try to give people is you, you, once you feel better in any conversation or in any setting, it will be easier for you to overcome that awkwardness that we acknowledge existed at the beginning. And so you only need to have a tiny win in order to feel better. So we think of that in sports, you hit a, if you hit a shot playing basketball, you feel like your next one's gonna go in, uh, you know, if, and, and this is sort of the same thing. And so one of the things I teach people is this idea that it's okay if you try and it doesn't work out, you just, that's also okay. That actually helps you. If you try and it works out, great, you got the confidence thing. If you try and it doesn't work out, all you have to say now is, okay, what did I, what happened there and how am I going to get better the next time? Um, and so either way, you can't really lose. Either you get the win or you get the loss, so to speak, except that loss teaches you how to get the win the next time. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I, I think that's a, a great approach um, to trying new things and kind of not being not being totally turned off by any type of you know failure so to speak. I heard you mention 
a bit earlier um, that one of your one of the chapters in your book is on networking. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I know I know that some of the other chapters in your book have have different you know topics, so to speak, or address different concepts. How would you suggest that a reader, you know, read your book? Is it something that they, you know, read chapter by chapter? How do, how do you see it being most effectively used? Yeah, so I think it's different for parents and for teenagers. So for parents, yes, I think reading it straight through, it'll take you about two and a half hours. Um, and then what it does is it helps you develop the kind of conversational pieces that you'll be able to use with your kids as they go through school. You'll know the things, it's a de-stressor basically. It's like, this is what kids can do to make their life in college really effective. And, and, and I'm not, by the way, I'm by no means suggesting that all the stuff that I have them doing means they're not supposed to have fun. In fact, it's still like an 80-20 ratio. I'm just asking for 10 or 20% of the time, you know, do whatever you want to do the rest of the time is fine. For students, I think you can just read chapters based on when, how old you are and what grade you're in, uh, grade, you know, what class you're in. So it is organized based on freshman year, first semester, second semester, sophomore year, et cetera. So you don't need to jump ahead necessarily, which means that it's very easy to read 10, 15, 20, 30 pages tops and get a lot out of it. It's also written in a way that's pretty, I'm pretty kind of plain spoken and direct. Um, again, some people think that that's a, a negative, but that's uh, it's kind of, uh, I'm not changing that part of my personality. So, um, and that's how the book is, you know, that's how the book is written too. And so it's not something that's fanciful or that gets into all these theories and so on. It's very, this is what's very likely you're, you're feeling based on all the other people I've spoken with and interacted with. And here's a way of making that work out. Got it. What would you say, I'm sure you've, because you've worked with students for so long, um, and when you work with students, I know that you're kind of effectively also working with their family in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to assume that along the way, you've heard lots of different tidbits of advice that um, adults have given their, you know, college age students or high school age students. what would be, what would you say is kind of one of those common pieces of advice that, you know, you are not a fan of? <laughs> yeah, it's a good way of putting it. I, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take that a little stronger. I hate the do it for your resume approach. Uh, that's an absolute disaster. So speak with any of the amazing people that I worked with who conducted interviews alongside me um, and, or even without me. Uh, potential job candidates, and they will all say that within two minutes, they can tell who's full of shit. Oh, can I hear something? Uh, you know, who's, who's full of it uh, and who isn't about their activities and things they did in college. I've had people where I say, oh, I see that you're in such and such a club. I was in something similar. What did you like about it? And they literally have to, now they have to answer oh, I never really went. I, I, I just put that down on my resume. And now immediately in my head, I'm, I've dismissed you as a candidate. You're gone. I'm not interested in you as a candidate because you're one of those people who just, it, first of all, I kind of feel lied to, but second of all, I know that you're not real. Now I don't know really who you are, 
right? right. That piece of paper is supposed to tell me who you are. So I like to explain to people, just think of your resume as the thing that emerges over here. It will emerge four years from now. It doesn't matter to you. You'll, whatever ends up happening on that document should be a reflection of you. And so do everything you do for yourself and not for your resume is a big mantra of mine. And it works out both for the resume, strangely enough, and then works out for you as well, because that's kind of the thing we're talking about here on the topic is how to turn your likes into loves. Well, how are you going to do that if you're not trying things that you might be interested in rather than what, in effect, you think society wants you to be interested in, or your parents want you to be interested in, or that seems safe, or that seem like, oh, I'm gonna be in business, so I better join the finance club, even though I hate finance. No, that's not a good idea. Join the newspaper club if you're into, right? Like do the things that you might be into and then you'll figure out your options and otherwise later. Sure, yeah, you want to, I mean, I think, I, I love that you mentioned that if you, you know, stay true to yourself and, and do things that you want to do, it'll all work out for your resume, right? And the goal I think is that when we're sitting in, the interview, like you referenced earlier, that the things that we've listed on our, in, on our resume are, you know, not only things we've truly done, which is important, but yeah. um, further things that we've truly done, um, gotten something out of and, and still feel passionate about. Um, be, and, and, you know, of course, kids are going to try things that they are going to, you know, maybe spend a year doing. And then when, when it's all said and done, they say, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do that next year. You and I have spoken about that mm -hmm. and how, you know, it's really important for um, you. You've expressed that it's super important for students, especially during the high school years to know that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, I would argue that that is, that is one of those things that I, that when I say kind of direct and plain advice, we're always taught as kids, you're not supposed to quit. And I, I am going to tell you the exact opposite. Quit, 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 right? <laughs> if you think of things, because if you do not give yourself the permission to quit, you won't try stuff. It's just human nature, right? You're not gonna try anything if you think, oh my God, like if I quit that three months from now, it doesn't have, even have to be a year. One of a, a young lady that I, that I just was speaking with as part of another group had mentioned she joined, because she took me up on this idea, she joined nine clubs her freshman year and she whittled them down to four. That's exact. I was I I was over the moon excited because it's exactly what I'm talking about. It's totally okay. It's not only okay. It's a good idea because it allows you to. It frees you up to say, I'm going to dabble and I'm going to see. I'm not suggesting that you write all those down necessarily. It doesn't matter. That's sort of the whole point. Try them. Give it a shot. Give it a real shot. A couple times. Go to a few meetings. Talk to a few people. See what it's all about. And then if it doesn't hold your interest, just that's it. You drop it. It's fine. And then you, it allows you to focus. You have a discrete, you only have a finite amount of time. So then you'll limit yourself to the ones that you seem appealing. Yep. The other thing we, the other thing we, we, we sort of alluded to earlier too, was in that when you try certain things that you're not very good at, you, you not only can you quit them, if you turns out that you're not interested, that's that's the reason to quit something. Don't quit because 
you're not very good right away, even if you, especially when you like what it is. That's a different story. And that's something that I try to explain to people too, is just if you join something and you're not very good, just keep doing it and see if you, if you like it and see if you get good. And you'll be surprised at how rapidly you pick up various things that you, you try to do. Again, it could be sports, it could be writing, it could be whatever. People get better, right? And, that's, and then that speaks to your confidence thing that you talked about before, only you have even more confidence knowing, man, I was terrible at this before. And now I'm actually pretty good at it. I feel really good. And that goes, when you see a, a, a college student or a high school student who's done that, you can see it. It's opened up the whole universe at that point. They really get it, you know, as opposed to people who are just great at something right from the beginning. You don't get that feeling about yourself. It's not quite mm -hmm. the same. Yeah, I, I think that um, that's definitely a really powerful moment um, to see, but I'm sure even more so to, to feel as the student saying, you know what, I got, I got there. Yeah. Um, and... It wasn't super easy. I was a little bit uncomfortable, but I like learned how to be good at this. And right. you know, I like it or mm, I could do without it. Either one could be an outcome um, and they're okay. Um, would you say that the majority of the students that you work with, do they typically come to you? Um, do they, do most students come to you with no clue kind of where they're headed? Or do they come to you with an idea, but they're unsure? Like, what, what do you see? What do you see in what you do? Uh, that's a great question. I see them, uh, it's a bit of both. Um, I often see maybe even the third category. So I see people who come to me who think they're interested in one thing, but part of the reason they're coming to me is they're starting to have this niggling feeling that maybe that's not for them. Okay. That they've kind of invested a fair amount of time. It might be one semester, it might be three years. And now they're starting to regret, oh, I'm an economics major, but I'm not so sure I wanna be an economic. What, what am I doing with this? The path is this, but I'm not sure that's what I want. So I get those people and, and that's one sort of set of problems to deal with. And the other is the person who comes and says, I'm a little nervous because I have no idea and because everyone's telling me I'm supposed to know. So that's another thing that I try to point out to people is that one, you're not supposed to know at 18 what you want to do for the rest of your life. That's ridiculous, right? Like you're not going to know. You're not even going to know what you want to do for the rest of your life when you're 22 or 25. Like don't worry about that. We're only trying to get you to job one. That's it. That's that's the goal. Get yourself the skills and the interests and get an interesting job right out of the gate, you'll be fine at that point. Then there's a whole other things that you can do to make that work. So when someone approaches me and has no idea, I try to explain, it's okay, one, two, the average person changes majors two or three times, actually it's like two and a half times. So that's not a big deal if you end up being one of those people one of the things is just like everything else though with um, the platform we're on right now, right? The Facebook curated thing is you don't see people saying, change my major again. Yeah, you know, like how often do people post that, right? And so everyone assumes that they're the only ones that that's happening to when no one wants to talk about it. And if you did talk about it, you'd realize that everyone 
just have that happen to them. Yeah, so sure. It's a kind of a tangent, but it's an offshoot of something else that the, my students and I go over, which is it's totally okay. That kind of vulnerability is how you get help. That raising your hand thing and saying, I don't know what I'm doing or I want to switch and that seems like a disaster. That's how other adults can help. That's how your fellow students can help, et cetera. But they won't be able to help if you don't do that. And the weird part is once one person does it in a group, everyone ends up just saying the same thing. They all just, no one wants to be the first person, but they all are going through this stuff at the same time. And so it's another factor here is people feeling alone, yet this is the one time in your life when you're going to be with a group of people who are going to be never again when you go through the same things as your peers like this, right? When you get a job, everyone's a different age. They're a different walk of life, et cetera. They have, some have kids, some don't. Some have older kids, some have younger kids, some don't have kids at all. Some are like you, some are 60, you know, it's, they won't all be going through those experiences that you're going through. Some have been on that job for 10 years, some for 10 minutes. You won't be able to necessarily know how you can quote unquote be vulnerable at a job. When you're in college, it's actually easier than you think. Just speak up. Everyone's feeling the same way. Yeah, that's a good point. You're right. That is really the only time, um, kind of the only life stage where you can be pretty sure that everyone around you is is undergoing some of the same feelings and emotions and you know inconsistencies, whatever you want right. to call it. Right. But unlike high school, you you're not going in with whatever baggage you've had since kindergarten with all the people that you've known since then and the groups that you've been boxed into or that you put yourself into. Once you get into college, you're still the same person technically, um, but no one knows who you are. So you can just be what you want to be and they only see that part of you. So you don't have to worry necessarily that if you speak up about something that you're feeling that someone's going to say, oh, you're just a kid who's, a, you've always been a man you know, whatever, fill in the yeah. group that you're in. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, Randy, how, if, if a student, if we have a student listening now or a parent listening now and they're loving, you know, what we're talking about in your approach, how would you students go about, you know, starting a working relationship with you? What does that look like? When do they come to you? Sure, sure. So really the best the best relationships I've had have been the ones that started the earliest. So even starting just before going into freshman year of college. So right around now of a kid who's graduating high school. And it's kind of one of step one is I actually can, can and have helped kids pick their classes because again, I don't care what your major is. By the way, that, that's an offshoot to the answer before about the resume. That's the second biggest mistake people make is thinking that your major is linked to what you're going to do for a living and is important to what you're going to do for a living when it isn't. Unless you're a STEM person, an engineer, a doctor, an accountant, or like I said, a STEM, and that's that. if you're a humanities person, Philosophy, psychology, sociology, marketing, it's not going to matter. English, history, it's all the same. I mean, so you might as well just do the thing you're into because mm -hmm. no employer is going to care. So when a student starts, the first thing I talk to them about, let's start to figure out what classes did you like in high school and why, and 
divorce that from the teachers, right? If you had a great teacher and bad topic, that's not so, that's not going to help you. It's much more of, I want to know if you had, even if we were a terrible teacher, you still were interested in that topic. Let's start that. Let's start working with that. Um, and by the way, that's another piece of, I will call it advice that I tell people is don't, um, the, it's the opposite of what um, your admissions people will say. So any admissions people that are watching this now are probably having a, you know, a little mini heart attack, but I hate the idea of taking all of your core classes first. Um, that to me is a terrible mistake. And no one ever sort of thinks about this, but why do I want to, I hear this a lot. Well, I've taken all the requirements for the first two years. Now I'm a junior and I have no idea what I want to do, but I'm at least I'm all set. I'm like, you're all set for what? <laughs> like, you have no idea. Like that, that's not being set. And then what happens is people end up getting, when they come to me as juniors in college and in the situation I just described, they feel really behind because now they realized, uh-oh, like I thought this was gonna make sense, but now I realize it makes no sense mm -hmm. at all. Flip that on its ear. So I get you, there's certain classes you obviously have to take with the university, whichever school you go to will make you take. Take those as a minimum. And then everything else should be things that you think you're interested in based on the syllabus, et cetera, and your previous likes and dislikes. And then you adjust accordingly each semester. I like this, I hated that. I like this language, but I don't like linguistics. I like marketing, but I, I, didn't, I didn't really like it enough to keep doing it. Oh, wait, but I like this one aspect of it. So I'm gonna take a consumer behavior class and that led me to psychology, which led me to organizational psychology which led me to HR, right? Like you're not really sure where these things are gonna go. Just let yourself go in the direction that your mind is saying, hey, this is really interesting. Um, I, I got into in investigative work kind of for a bunch of reasons, but I always liked to, I liked to write, I liked to research and so on. That was my experience and so even now, 30 years later, as much as I put that world behind me, just recently I embarked on a little mini project for a friend that I, I, I'm helping out. And three hours into this thing, I, I kind of looked up on a Friday, like, what time is it? Like, my wife's like, it's dinner, you, you know, you're sitting there, like you're hacking away on the computer. What are you doing over there? That's the kind of thing I want for people, right? Where you just lose track of time, you're not thinking about it. You're so into it that you just have no idea like what's going on around you. That's that's how you, you know, that's what a, a passion is, right? That's that's the definition. Yeah, no, I think that I mean just the fact that you lost all track of time, that's really indicative, right? Of of something you were truly passionate about. Yes. And I think for people that's the that's kind of the fourth big mistake, and we talked about this is you don't find a passion. It's not a, you know, it's not a, a you know, a, a dollar bill on the ground or a four leaf clover or whatever. It, it's, it's literally a passion. It gets fostered. You have to develop it. So if I walk around telling myself that I'm, I need to find a passion, then I'm always going to be disappointed and scared. And frankly, if you talk to most teenagers and young adults, that's what they will tell you. They will say flat out, this makes me nervous when people say, find your passion. I don't know what my passion is. 
So what you know, I express to them is, of course, you don't know. The goal now is you're not going to find it. You're going to develop it. So how are you going to foster it? So how are we going to do that? Step one is we're going to we're going to try a lot of things that we talked like we talked about before. Step two is we're going to winnow out some things. You're going to quit some things. You're going to add others. And then step three is the things that you start to get into, you're going to do them a lot more. So whether that's clubs, classes, jobs, internships, professors that you talk, that you speak with, et cetera, people in the field that you speak with, you just keep doing it until you start to see a pattern emerge and you start to say, huh, I kind of like this, I like this, I like this. That might be, maybe this is what's gonna come of it. I'll try that now and then do a lot of it. That's the thing I think that people forget. College students have a tremendous amount of time, tons of time. So yeah, spend, yeah. Right, so spend it like this, do the, that's the funny part about why I think what I talk about works is I'm one of the few people who's saying, I'm not saying you need to work on all your weaknesses and all the stuff you hate and all the rest of it. I'm saying the exact opposite. You know, work on the stuff that you really like, do it a lot, and then you'll start to see what are the things you actually love. It's kind of like dating in a way. I know kids nowadays don't <laughs> use the term dating, God forbid, but um, it's really somewhat similar to and you're so right. You you really will never have more time than you have while you're in college. No, not even. It's not even close. <laughs> right. You don't realize you're not in class from seven thirty to three o'clock. Right. And have and then sports and then homework and then dinner and you know maybe you get a couple of hours on on, on a device of some kind. But yeah, mm -hmm. it doesn't work like that. You have hours and hours and hours and hours. So sure, you can spend that whole time on your phone, or you can keep trying things that you might like. Yeah, yeah, no, that's the time to do it for sure. Um, and the setting, right? Their college campuses just have endless amounts of opportunity and lots to pick from. Um, so it's the time and the place. Um, so we've definitely covered a lot of different topics. Um, is there anything we didn't kind of touch on that you wanna make sure our viewers and our followers hear from you? Uh, I would say, I'd love to be able to say yes. I guess that's the, you know what? That just prompted me to figure out the last thing is yes, say yes to things. And so um, most people don't remember the movie with Jim Carrey, Yes Man, but it's actually true. When you say yes to opportunities, you, you will find that some of those will end up appealing to you even if they seem wacky at first. So a kid who's an athlete say yes to the thing like going to a play with a new friend you've met in the first couple of weeks of college, right? Just say yes to it, might not be your thing, but it could turn out that you look and you say, hmm, wow, I actually, <laughs> I never would have dreamed of doing that in high school, but this is kind of interesting. Or it's exactly what you thought and it's not for you. And what have you wasted? What have you lost, an hour? You know, it's not that big a deal. And so, it's only as an adult that you have to start saying no to things because you have less and less and less time because you're working all day and you have your family and so on. So you can't say yes to everything. In college, to me, it's say yes to almost anything that anyone is bringing you. Give it a couple of tries, not just one, two tries, and then quit if you don't like it. 
Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's really great advice. And um, I mean, everything you covered today is so relevant to the students that we work with. And I'm confident that so many of them will be able to benefit from this. Um, what sometimes happens, and this is for viewers as well, whether you're watching it live or later, um, we uh, will answer, if you have questions later on, I can share them with Randy and um, he can, you know, get me an answer and we'll get it to you. So um, we didn't have any questions during the presentation, but sometimes we get them after and viewers feel free to send those in. Great. Thanks again, Casey. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much, Randy. It was right. great to have you. Oh, you too. All right. Have a nice day. You too. Okay. Bye-bye now.